Really excited to preach on the sufficiency of Scripture today, and really just this topic of how God's Word is complete for our lives. Uh, Sean Metz, our student ministry director, did a great job last week talking about prayer and the centrality of prayer to our lives as Christians, and really prayer and the Word, whether we're new in a relationship with Jesus, whether it was last week or last month or this last year, or we've walked with Jesus for a long time, prayer and the Word are fundamental for both of us. Uh, and anyone in between, to our individual lives, to our lives together as God's people. So my prayer would just be that as we think about God's word and how it's sufficient for us, that a couple things would stick, that we would grow in confidence in God's word and think about how to apply it in our lives. Uh, so 2 Timothy 3 that Tyler read for us tells us that the 66 books that form the Bible are God's inspired words, inerrant, perfect, from him, and that is what sufficiency is about. Uh, and I want us to understand as well, that as we think about sufficiency, this isn't just a kind of lecture topic. Scripture is a book that's designed for relationships by a relational God. And that's because it's his word. So scripture is a book designed for relationships. From the beginning of time in scripture, where God says, let us make man in our image, we learn that God is an us. He's a relational God within himself. The Father, Son, and Spirit have perfect relationship with each other. And we are relational beings made in God's image. So God wants us to have healthy relationships with him, with each other. He's created us for relationships that are marked by trust, where communication is open, where we communicate with God, joys, fears, hopes, dreams. We'd be able to do the same with each other have real relationships where we can get into the real things of life, things that keep us up at night, things that give us a ton of joy, that we share that in relationship. And God's designed us not only for relationships marked by trust, but marked by love, a love that God has for us that is a deep love, that is an abiding love that he would want us to return back to him and then share with each other. God wants us to have relationships that are characterized by service and sacrifice uh, not manipulation or taking advantage of others. And guys, I'm convinced that without Scripture, we'll have a massive deficiency in our relationships. Without Scripture, we have a massive deficiency in our relationships. But with Scripture, God helps us engage in relationships in a healthy way, in a life-giving way, in a freeing way. And God has given us His Word to help us in our relationships I can remember a time in high school where I was struggling with depression, probably sophomore year, junior year, not from a clinical diagnosis of depression. I'm using that word more to describe just to really something that's a lot stronger than discouragement. It was a dark season, a hard season for me, probably kind of stemmed from, uh, I know now, just from the fact that I wanted to be really good at things. And when I wasn't, I got really depressed. So kind of that self-loathing but I didn't know that at the time. I'm just stuck in kind of this mire of depression. And I just remember one night in particular, my dad coming to me, just kind of hearing me, talking to me a little bit, and then just sharing and reminding me of Proverbs 24, 16, which says, For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. And my dad just sat across from me and just encouraged me and shared times in his life when he felt like he had fallen down repeatedly over and over and how through God's word God encouraged him God strengthened him and that night God used his word to strengthen me and encourage me and over the course of high school and college then and on scripture has just been a source of life source of strength 
So as we go to the sufficiency of Scripture today and think about it, I just encourage you to think about it in the context of relationships with God, with each other, and just how God gives us the gift of His Word, and that it is sufficient for our needs. So today we're going to look at uh, a definition, four characteristics of the Word, and then four applications of it. So we'll start with a definition. We have to understand what we're talking about. Uh, first, of sufficient. And sufficient just means enough literally just means enough. If we have sufficient gas to get to our destination in our car, we have enough to get there. So we have to ask, enough for what? What is scripture enough for? And Wayne Grudem, probably the most uh, well-known current theologian of our time, has a book called Systematic Theology, and he defines the sufficiency of scripture for us, telling us what it is sufficient for, what it is enough for. You'll see this on the screens. He says, The sufficiency of scripture means that scripture contained all the words of God that he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history, and that it now contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. So all the words we needed all through history, and now it has all that we need for salvation and for trusting and obeying God. As time went on, uh, God increasingly revealed more of his word to his people. So if you think back in the Old Testament, as it was being written, the people did not have all of the word in the way that we do now. But what they always had was enough. Enough to relate to God, enough to live life the way that he intended. And as uh, history progressed, God continued to give his people more revelation through his prophets. And then the coming of Jesus marked the fullness of time in God's redemptive plan, where he would send his son, and reveal himself through Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Jesus would go back to heaven, and then God would inspire writers to give us the New Testament to tell us about Jesus, basically, about Jesus and how to follow him. Uh, So God has given us everything we need. We now have scripture in its final form because Jesus was the height of God's revelation. There's not a need for further revelation from God. We have it in its final form. And so in scripture, we can summarize now for us, the definition of sufficiency is, in scripture, we have everything we need for salvation, for trusting God, and for obeying him. Everything we need, guys, for salvation, for trusting God, and for obeying him. In scripture, we have enough to be saved, basically, and to live the way that God intends. If you think about that, that means there's nothing missing that we need, and there's no other obligations outside scripture that we must obey. There you go. Um, so 2 Timothy 3, if you couldn't hear me online, we'll look at 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, talking about sufficiency is everything we need in Scripture for salvation and for trusting and obeying God. Uh, so Tyler read really well from verse 14. It explains that what we have is sufficient for salvation. Uh, in verse 15, it's clear on that. So through creation, we learn that God exists. We have to have Scripture to know how to be saved. And Paul just reminds Timothy that what you have in Scripture is enough wisdom for salvation. Uh, It's enough to enter a relationship with God. And then verses 16 and 17 really beautifully just walk out. We have everything we need to trust and obey God. That In Scripture, God teaches, he rebukes, he corrects, and he trains us in righteousness. 
to be able to trust and obey God. If you want to highlight the verse that is most clear on the sufficiency of Scripture in Scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 is it. You could also note Deuteronomy 29, 29, where God says he's revealed everything that we need to do, uh, and he keeps the rest to himself, but he has declared to us what we need to know to do his will. Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6 said that every word of God proves true and don't add or take from God's words. And then Psalm 19, 7 through 11, and Psalm 119. I encourage us to read Psalm 119 this past week because it just goes on and on and on and on about the beauty of God's word, the goodness of God's word. Those are all texts that talk about the sufficiency of scripture. So that's our definition. We need to look at now characteristics of that sufficiency to better understand it and know it. And I have four today. Like Sean said last week, he did three on prayer. I'll do four on scripture. We could do the whole year on scripture. It's that rich. We'll look at four today. Uh, first, that scripture is authoritative. Second, that it's redemptive. Third, that it's living and active. And then fourth, that it's a treasure. So authoritative, redemptive, it's living and active, and it's a treasure. And first, then authoritative. Uh, we'll start there. Guys, as the inspired word of God, scripture carries the authority of God. We have to ask, what authority does God have over our lives? And we would affirm, I hope, that our very breath, every breath that we take is from God. And God has authority over it, over everything that we do. Uh, God's authority extends over every circumstance of our lives, every situation that we're in, every breath that we take, because we would not be here if he had not put us here. So God's authority is absolute. And if God has spoken... His word also has absolute authority. Uh, God could speak in any way that he chooses, and he's done that down through history. He's given people dreams. He spoke through prophets often. I think there'd be the likelihood that in countries where God's word is not yet known, he would possibly continue to speak through prophets, through giving just revelations from him until the word is be able, able to be known in that language, uh, in that culture. God largely, over time, has landed on communicating through his word, through a written word. He's preserved it. Uh, he inspired it. He gave it to us, and then he's preserved it over time. And 2 Peter 1 makes that really clear, where Peter writes, Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So when we read the Bible, we can read it with confidence that we're reading God's inspired words. As we wake up in the morning, we meet him through his word. We're meeting the same God who created everyone, everywhere. The same God who causes the sun to run its course. The same God who sustains people, countries around the world. We meet with that God when we meet him through his word. And that word has his authority. John Frame helps us, makes this really clear in his book, The Doctrine of God, when he says, when Deuteronomy tells us not to turn to the left or the right of God's commands, it's referring to the written word. When the psalmist speaks about the perfections of God's word over and over again in Psalm 119, it's primarily to the written word that he refers to. The written word is the covenant constitution of the people of God, and his authority is absolute because the authority of its author is absolute. God's word is authoritative, guys. And it's authoritative over every area of our lives. Uh, Frame notes really well that the law of Moses that governed God's people in the Old Testament covered how they were relate to him, how they were to worship him. It also covered their calendar, their diet, their politics, their economics, marriage, divorce, sexuality, 
principles for war. And when we come to the New Testament, it certainly doesn't step back from the comprehensiveness of the Old Testament. Instead, God says, what, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do in anything, do all to the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians 10, Colossians 3 says that in all that we do, we should do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said in Luke 6 that we cannot call him Lord, Lord, and not do the things that he says. So God's word is authoritative from God, carries his authority, and is authoritative over every aspect of our lives. That's what the sufficiency of scripture and its authority means. So one implication of that is that the teaching of religious leaders does not carry the same authority as God's word. And so we would differ there from the Catholic church that says both God's word and religious leaders have the same authority. Uh, and Grudem is really helpful again. He says at this point, the authority of scripture, we differ from Roman Catholic theologians who would say that we have not found all that God says to us about any particular subject until we have also listened to the official teaching of the church throughout its history. And guys, that just quite fr frankly flies in the face of Galatians 1, where Paul is really clear that the word is from God and everyone else is in a different category, has different authority. So when we look to uh, theologians from church history or other church leaders today, we would look for them for help in understanding scripture, not to receive teaching on the level of scripture. We're looking for help to understand God's word. Because what this does not mean is that we don't care about authorities. Uh, God has given us a lot of lowercase a authorities in our lives. Uh, people that we can learn from through books. So we would read other books other than scripture to gain understanding in God's word. Scripture is really clear that collaboration is really important um, on really important matters. So church leaders, early church leaders met in Jerusalem to decide if, if Gentiles could also receive Jesus as Jews could. And that collaboration took place. Different leaders listened to each other, considered what they had to say, and made a joint decision to say that we in this room could be Christians and could follow Jesus. You don't have to be uh, a Jew uh, by nationality to follow Jesus. They shared that authority together. We share authority in the church and who we receive into membership and who we would exercise church discipline uh, in a redemptive way in their lives who, and who leads our church and how we spend money in our church. We share that authority together as a congregation and walk forwards together with God's word as our ultimate authority, God as our ultimate authority. We do that with one uppercase A authority in our lives and that is God through his word. Scripture is authoritative. Second, Scripture is redemptive. Scripture is redemptive. So God does not give us his word as kind of a cold dictate that we then follow, and we get check marks if we follow enough of it, uh, demerits if we don't. We come and report every year. That's not how God set things up. Uh, scripture, at, at its heart, is a story of God's work in the world, saving his people. Uh, it's a story of redemption, the best story of redemption. And a couple key things around the redemptive nature of Scripture I want us to understand this morning. First, that Scripture itself and the sufficiency of it are gifts of God's love to us. So the sufficiency of Scripture is a gift of God's love to us. Psalm 119.41 says, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. 119 verse 76 says, Let your steadfast love comfort me, according to your promise to your servant. 119 verse 81, my soul longs for your salvation. So where do we learn of that? I hope in your word, the psalmist continues. And then Psalm 119, 88, 
in your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. As God speaks in kindness to us and gives us his word in kindness, we don't have to wonder what he thinks. We don't have to be curious about what he wants us to do in certain areas, as in not knowing at all. Uh, It takes wisdom to apply the word, yes, but we have a word. So we should be eager to dive into it, to mine it for what God would say to us, because he has relational treasures in it for us. Comfort, rest, peace, direction. God gives all these things in the context of relationship with him through his word. And then second about the redemptive nature of scripture, guys, ultimately it centers on its hero and it reveals Jesus. It reveals Jesus. Uh, Scripture throughout points to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies of scripture uh, from Luke 24. All of the ceremonial aspects in the life of God's people all through the Old Testament find their fulfillment in Jesus, the one who gives us access to the Father. Uh, Jesus is the one whom all the promises of God find their yes and amen in, 2 Corinthians 1.20. Jesus perfectly revealed the will of the Father. Jesus perfectly embodies the commands of Scripture. Just, that's mind-blowing. Jesus did everything that Scripture talks about. He did perfectly. He lived it out before people. Eyewitnesses who followed him shared with others, who followed him who shared with others. Jesus is the hero of Scripture. And scripture at its heart reveals its savior, Jesus. So if you're here this morning, you're watching online, you can't miss this point. Maybe that you're not a believer in Jesus. You wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus yet. And we would just encourage you to receive Jesus this morning. Uh, Take some time to read scripture. If God is stirring your heart over the next few weeks and read about your need, you'll see there your need for a savior and that Jesus is your savior. And we would just invite you to enter a relationship with God. Uh, come to know God, experience him through his word. God is kind and speaks redemptively through scripture. Scripture is redemptive. Then third, guys, scripture is living and active. Living and active. So we have authoritative, we have redemptive. Living and active, most clear in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Scripture, as I've said, is not a static book of facts and information that kind of sit on a page like a history book. It includes facts and information, but it's a whole lot more than that. It's a training book for life. Training book for life from God is the voice of God, and God gives us his word as a training book, not a source book with direct answers for every situation we encounter. So let me say that again. Scripture trains us, right? It's a training book. It's not on January 5th, you're going to face this situation and here's the action that you should take. Okay, that's not, when we're looking for God to speak to us, it's not so much writing in the clouds, it's training through his word. And then there's a ton of freedom in how we apply scripture to different situations. So God's word is very clearly authoritative over every area of our lives. And as we explore scripture, we see that God gives us freedom to just live in the joy of worshiping him and following him in a lot of different areas. There's principles to apply in dependence on God. But it's not just, again, this kind of direct, here's ABC, so I should do one, two, three. It is training, it's relational, it's alive. And it's alive because God meets us through his word and God is a living and active God who's actively working in each of us. And that is true 
Whether we're eight years old and a believer in Jesus, or whether we're 70 years old and a believer in Jesus, God wants to actively meet us through his word, and he's doing that. We can expect him to do that. And then there's a ton of freedom for what job to work, who to marry, where to live. God gives us principles to make decisions. And so we need regular exposure to his word and study of his word to engage life in a God-directed way that is increasingly Christ-like instead of what we're really prone to. Our scripture kind of sits and gathers dust and we're really prone then to self-directed lives that progressively doubt God and leads to actions that we just look back on and regret. I can just count so many times when I've just kind of felt myself wandering off into despair, into discouragement, into just what felt like, I don't, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing, that then as I fed on scripture the next couple days, God just comforted with a word, reminded of a word, encouraged the, ne- the next step. It's what the next step was with uh, one of our kids, or the next step was with a friendship I was having struggles with, or the next step at work was... And that was from God-directed choices and decisions uh, and really just living out Hebrews 5.14. That God gives us just this command in Hebrews 5.14, this reminder, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So as we run every decision through the grid of what God is saying to us through his word, guys, we just grow in confidence in following him. Uh, growing confidence in that. God gives us clarity, and we make decisions that reflect the priority and heart of God because his word is living and active, and we can expect him to work through it in our lives with clarity. So, that, guys, the fourth characteristic then, God's word is living and active. The fourth one is scripture is a treasure. Scripture is a treasure then. I hope that's clear from the first three, but scripture is a prophet, Second Timothy 3. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Over and over as I read Psalm 119 this week, it just talks about life and life in relationship with God through his word. Psalm 119, 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Uh, We just, so it's saying that the law is better than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Feels kind of nice to have money, right? We just finished It's a Wonderful Life and that scene again where Jimmy Stewart is saying to the angel, he's like, well, you got 8,000 bucks on you? And Clarence is like, well, in heaven we don't use money. Like, well, it comes pretty helpful, pretty handy down here, bub. It's like, great, I need money now here for my needs. So how could the law of God's mouth be better than thousands of gold and silver pieces? It's because it gives life. It gives quality of life, peace and hope and joy and life that money can't give. Any of us who have ever felt ourselves pursuing money uh, as our source of hope for any amount of time can just name what gives that quality of life, hope and peace and joy is relationship with God through his word. Uh, Health there, health in relationships with people. You probably name if our relationships are struggling with people around us, how detrimental that is to our health how difficult that is when we're walking in sin and brokenness that's not confessed, that's not brought into the light. As God, it, Scripture is a treasure and profits us in uncountable ways as we immerse ourselves in it. Psalm 19 encapsulates this, the value and the goodness of God's Word. Scripture is not only valuable, it's sweet. God designed it to be tasty, to be good for us. And Psalm 19 just 
in one clear stretch of verses makes that really clear. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Scripture, guys, is a book where we meet God, we understand his priorities for our life, and that is of much more value than riches. Scripture is a treasure. And as we move into application then, the so what, what do I do with this? This is great information. What do I do with it? just want to say, if you've struggled with or struggled with doubt around the idea of the sufficiency of Scripture, that it is sufficient to save us, to teach us how to trust and obey God, I want to say, or just consider, are you applying Scripture in the way that God intends? It could be that that's the breakdown, that if we're not applying Scripture in our lives, it's not going to be sufficient in the way that God promises it is. Uh, If our approach to Scripture is kind of half-baked, half-hearted, we're going to get half-baked results. God wants us all in with Scripture, consistently in it, getting up when we struggle and fall down for a week or two weeks or a month or years to get in Scripture. He invites us to stand back up, to open it back up, to dive in. And four applications of response then here. Four ways to apply Scripture. We need to treasure it, listen to it, do it, and share it. Treasure it first. So Scripture is a treasure, and we have to treasure it to see its full impact in our lives. It's a noun and a verb. In the parable of the treasure in the field, the man who finds the treasure there in the Gospels acts on what he has found, right? And acts in a full-fledged way. He sells everything he has. Like, I've got to have that. That's the treasure. Uh, God's revealed himself to me. I can know him. I can meet him. I I want it. I've got to have it. So he acts on that. He treasures that thing. That means we need to give some of our best time and attention every day to God's word. It is a treasure. We need to give our best time and attention to it to meeting with God, encountering him and his will through his word. And when we do that, when we actively engage with the word, guys, God works, works and moves in power. Sometimes that working is slow over time. Uh, It's not always just like five light bulbs above your head. It's kind of the slowly light is coming on in your life. You see aspects of your heart you didn't see before. You see areas of your priorities that need to change. Go at it full-fledged. We treasure it. And Deuteronomy 6 just walks that out as clearly as can be. Uh, There God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with part of your heart, part of your soul, no, all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. Uh, You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. We treasure scripture individually. We treasure it together. We treasure it privately. We treasure it in public. We've got to fight to love scripture and treasure scripture. Second, we have to listen to scripture. Got to listen to it. James 1, 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness or listen to the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. 
have to slow down, you have to disengage from everything else, you have to listen to God's word. And guys, listen at the heart level. It's not just kind of reading it like eyes on words across a page. It's listening with your heart. It's asking God for softness inside. So we read it, we study it, we chew on it, meditation, we memorize it, we pray through it. In all these ways, we listen to scripture. We're listening to God through his word. And as we do that, God lights our way. He lights our way and he exposes what's inside. So scripture is a light and it's a mirror. Uh, scripture comes to us not uh, as a matrix-like computer, computer chip. So it's not just kind of matrix, matrix, plug it in, we download all of it, and then we're programmed to live it out, right? It's a word. We have to learn the word. We have to hear the word. We have to listen to the word. And God lights our way as we listen to his word. And God also then, his word is a mirror. It exposes what's going on in our hearts. When we encounter God, he's going to speak not just to our minds, but our hearts, our desires, our loves. He's going to speak to how we're living out our relationships. He's going to reveal not only what we should do, light our way, but what's going on in us that is blocking us from walking that path. Uh, Our problems are always most within us, right? Uh, We are the problem most often. God shows that to us graciously. His word exposes what's going on. His word is a light. His word is a mirror. And as we listen to him through it, guys, the spirit leads with clarity, with rest, with peace. Uh, and we live meaningful, purposeful lives following God. It's really easy, right? Uh, no big deal. Uh, we need each other for this. All right, just want to, as we're going along, giving us what to do, acknowledge it's hard. We need each other's help. It's difficult. Guys, God's grace is sufficient in these areas for us. Uh, don't give up on being a student of the word, diving into the word gazing at the word we listen to god through his word third we do it we do it Uh, listening and doing go hand in hand and as important as listening is if we don't do the word it's worthless to us as important as listening is if we don't do it it's worthless right james 1 22 and 25 uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. As we engage scripture, guys, we can expect God uh, kind of buckle up, right? He's going to set our priorities. He's going to give us directives. God's going to engage not just external actions. He's going to engage our motives, our desires. Uh, we can expect our tastes to change. Like our taste bud changes as we get older, our taste is going to change Uh, to match God's taste, we can expect him to make us a little bit uncomfortable through his word, to shape our activity for the sake of flourishing. So not for the sake just of discomfort, for the sake of flourishing in relationship with him and with others. Guys, this involves work. Okay, I'm not going to lie. Strenuous activity in prayer, in fighting to change habits, in fighting to apply the word. Uh, We're fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the Spirit is stronger than all of those to help us apply the Word, uh, to help each of us grow as doers of the Word. And guys, the work is worth it. As we treasure Scripture here and apply Scripture, our joy grows as we become more like Jesus and live out the Word. Uh, so much more rest in a life of following Scripture than not. Uh, so we must do the Word. And then fourth, guys, we share the Word. Fourth thing is we share it. Uh, scripture is a light, a mirror, and a window. So as we feed on Scripture, learn from it, our lives are a window, and we speak out to others, 
Quite simply, guys, we know, as we've talked about before, we, sh- we talk about what we love, right? It's not that hard in one sense. Uh, we share about a sports team that we love. We share about fun restaurant experiences. I'm sure we've been sharing about fun presents that we've gotten uh, over the last few days. It's really exciting new thing. Uh, we share and talk about what we love. It's harder to share, quite frankly, the good news of the gospel and God's word. Uh, why is that? Why is it harder to share this thing that is much more life-giving than a present, than a trinket, right? Than these fleeting things that don't last. That's, you're not alone if it feels harder to talk about God's word and the gospel. Uh, Satan opposes us sharing the word, All right? We have an enemy. Satan does not want us diving into that. He's happy for us to talk about kind of fun things, surface-level things forever. He opposes us getting to the word and to the gospel. I think as well, we, it's harder because we just get into more meaningful content as we share the word And that means we're going to bump into brokenness, both in our lives and the lives of the people that we're talking with. So it's just less comfortable to get into these more meaningful things, deeper content. Um, It's going to take more involved conversations, more challenging in that way. It's going to expose our own need and that we're not the savior of that need. We're not our own hero. So we're going to have to get vulnerable with people. And guys, the, the joy that awaits us as we share at that level uh, can't be measured. I remember in being in seminary, and one of Laura's co-workers uh, was Catholic by tradition, but not a believer in Jesus. She would just say that openly. She's like, oh, I follow these Catholic traditions and things, but I'm divorced. I can't even take communion in my church. I'm not really actually sure what I think about Jesus. And I just remember the beauty of having a conversation with her and walking her through how the communion table was open to her if she was a believer in Jesus. That there wasn't this set of rules to keep. It was a relationship that God offered freely through Jesus. And just seeing her soak in that, the joy abounds in that situation. I'm sure we can all name conversations like that. And just the life that God gives us through that. It's because we were made to do that, guys. We were made to be megaphones for what God is teaching us. Made to share and pass on what God is teaching us. And we are a story people. Uh, I see this the older and older I get. I'm becoming more and more like my dad, right? I repeat stories. Uh, when you know someone, uh, a parent, probably you've heard the same story five or ten times. They tell it to you again like it was yesterday. But it's because it's meaningful to them, right? So as I find myself doing the same thing, I'm going back to these same stories. I'm like, man, it's the same thing. It's because this is something that I go back to. It's like smooth rocks that God has placed in my life to be markers of what he's done we share that with others. And guys, there's so much health and joy in sharing the goodness of God's word. He calls us into that activity. Because as we spend time in God's word, as this year starts, I just want to leave us with one final encouragement. He's going to meet you where you're at. He's going to meet you exactly where you're at. At whatever point you're at, at whatever you're struggling with, wherever you're at in your relationship with him, he wants to meet you through his word and we encounter him through his word and relationship. I just want to encourage us in that, uh, to go for that. Let's do that together this year. Uh, trust that God's word is sufficient to save us. Trust that it teaches us everything we need to trust and obey him. God has given us his word as a gift. Uh, let's explore it together this year. Let me pray for us, and then we'll continue in worship together. Uh, God, your word is such a treasure, and we thank you for that. And God, it's a treasure because it's connected to you. Uh, We meet you through it. And Jesus, thank you that you embodied the word with your life, uh, that you lived out all of its principles. And even more than that, you revealed the author of the word in all that you thought and said and did. 
Jesus, thank you that you are kind to be our Savior and not just our example. Thank you that you conquered sin and death for us to enable us to read God's word freely, uh, to engage with it as accepted sons and daughters. Thank you for that gift. Help us to receive it, embrace it, apply it this year. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.